I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm not psychic. I can't look into the future and say for sure I'm gonna be alone always. So it is true that I don't know for sure I'll be alone forever. A lot of people who respond in this very negative way to what I'm saying maybe have felt as I'm feeling. Maybe they never thought they'd meet anybody and then they did. So they have experienced what I'm experiencing, but they're on the other side of it. Uh, And I also believe that people don't want to accept the idea that someone who's, you know, fun or cool or interesting who they like isn't guaranteed love. But love isn't a guarantee at all for anyone. You don't get it because you're good. You don't get it because you're beautiful. You don't get it because you're smart. Like, it is a combination of luck and hard work and commitment. It's, it's, can't be guaranteed. Hi, everyone. It's Julia, and this is The Lonely Hour. And that was Amy Lutkin, who's a comedian and a writer based in New York City. She wrote an article for Jezebel in December that asked the question, when can I say I'll be alone forever? I was drawn to it because I'm single and trying to get comfortable with the idea that that might always be the case, but also because of the way AMA explored that idea, honestly, both without self-pity and without a sugar-coated ending. She basically said, I haven't dated anyone in a long while, and I'm not sure I will again because it doesn't seem to be working out, and I wish people would allow for me to say that because, for one, it's a true concern, and secondly, my life is pretty rich as it stands, and that should be acknowledged. It is by me. I wish it were by other people. Uh, It was the end of the year, and um, for end of the year, there's usually a lot of roundups and things people want to share about their pop culture observations or whatever from, you know, the whole past year. And I was just looking at the list, and because I'd been thinking about my own trajectory, I mean, when you're facing New Year's Eve again and you're still single, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had the resolution many times in the past few years to be like, okay, this is the year I'm going to start dating. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to try harder because I haven't been making space for this. But I realize, you know, it's about to be 2017 and I have not made good on any of those promises to myself and I'm not sure why. Um, But I've reached a point where I can no longer act like something deeper isn't going on. So the piece you wrote for Jezebel is titled When Can I Say I'll Be Alone Forever, which implies that you're not allowed to now. Yeah, well, it was just referring to the fact that whenever I've said in the past to, you know, a friend or someone in my family that I think I might not ever meet anybody, the immediate reaction is always like a very firm rejection of this thesis. Like, we're just like, no, that's impossible. There's no way you could be alone forever. Everybody meets someone, you know, you're going to meet someone now because you say you'll never meet anyone. It's the magic charm. And that means that I can't, like, follow through on my feeling. I can't follow through on my thoughts. I can't really talk about my experience because it's going to get shut down almost immediately as soon as I bring it up. Tell me a little bit about getting to that point. Why has it been so long? Well, the last person I dated with, I dated seriously, uh, I was in my mid to late 20s and he was much older. I'd always dated people who were much older than myself and he actually wanted to get married. And I considered it because it seemed like I think that I was very depressed (laughs) and the offer of this marriage came with a promise of like going to live in another city 
having a home, um, being with someone who was very vocally committed to me. And that felt very comforting. But he was also a very dysfunctional person and like had a lot of issues with substance abuse. And I realized I was just kind of entertaining the thought because I was feeling very depressed and unhappy with myself. So we broke up and very soon after that, a friend of mine passed away suddenly. And I just got very depressed again. Like I would, like it just kind of pushed me down to this very dark place. And I think that like the recovery from that took a long time and a lot of things changed within myself. And at a certain point, you've been working, you've been very internal, you've been working on who you are within yourself. And you kind of get disconnected from this ability to connect with others on this certain level. I took antidepressants for the first time for about a year and a half and I gained a lot of weight. So I didn't want to share myself physically. And at a certain point, I think I'd just gotten so disconnected from my sexuality that it no longer was like radiating off of me. I do think there is something about putting yourself out there in the sense that people understand you're open and available uh, to that kind of offer. And I, I've, I think I've become very good at like making friends with people who maybe I would have made into lovers in another time. Uh, and also I'm more of an adult now, you know, it's been six years. I've had a lot of experiences that I didn't before. I've matured, I've, you know, changed a lot of things in my life, my career, um, my friend circle, all those things have really changed. So I don't even really know who I would be How did your friend circle change? Did that happen naturally or was there ever like a decision that you were hanging around some unhealthy people and it didn't work? Uh, I don't think it was that. It was more just an interest thing. I started getting very into comedy and the comedy world is really, it'll engulf you very quickly if that's what you're into. Now I'd say my extracurricular activities are almost more focused on my career than, than you know, relaxing. So I'm still friends with some of the people I was friends with when I was like 25 and 26, but I don't live in a communal house anymore. And I don't, you know, go to a dance party every night, you know, four nights a week. You said in the piece dating was fun while it lasted, but now it all feels very much over. Is that just because it's been so long since you've experienced a relationship or because of something else? I've asked people out a few times over the last couple of years, like people I've met who just seemed interesting and uh, available and didn't work out. They were not interested or were dating and I didn't realize it, but we're dating someone else. For me, I think there's a lot of pressure right now when we talk about dating to blame modern society, to blame dating apps. Uh, there is some truth to that in my mind that we treat people as more disposable. If you're getting to know someone over a dating app, it's very easy to just like delete them. But Connecting with someone on a real level is hard, no matter what. Uh, and our expectations of what romance should look like have really changed. I mean, people got married 50 or 60 years ago because they had to. You know, for women especially, you had to get married. You had to pair up with somebody because there are a lot of things that would not be safe for you otherwise. Women couldn't, you know, we go back... 100 years, 200 years, you couldn't own your own property. You were property. There's just, there was no freedom and choice. And, you know, and before the internet, people 
got married to someone on their block. Like you, you married whoever you met and you settled down with them and you tried to make it work. And now we don't want to settle down with somebody unless they're fulfilling so many expectations. And I think that's fine. Like people say that they say, oh, you don't get married unless someone's perfect anymore. And it's like, great. Why should you? Most women can support themselves now or have the option to without depending on this family unit. Yeah, that's a good point. There still is a holdover, though. Like, even friends of mine who are picky, as they should be, about who the correct partner or what the correct partner looks like, and they have high expectations, still want to get married if they want to be moms. They feel like marriage has to come in order to have children. It's true that having a kid is hard as hell. I I understand why people want to be married before they undertake that. So if your goal in life is to have children and you've decided being married is an important part of that. I completely understand that. I don't relate to it personally because I don't really want to have kids. And I had a single mom. And a lot of people have had single moms. A lot of people still are single moms, even if they got married first. There's no guarantee that you're going to have the partner you need to raise your kids, even if you get married. Have you always known you didn't want kids? Um, I don't remember making a conscious decision about it. It's become more and more true for me that I don't ever really want to, I, you know, I never wanted to be pregnant. I never wondered about what that's like. I've never thought, oh, I'd like to experience childbirth. <laughs> I don't, I don't particularly find babies or small children cute, I, you know. My best friend has a kid. She always wanted to have a kid. I remember like even when we were very young, her talking about it. And I like her kid and I think she's really cute, but I don't want to be in charge of caring for a child in that way. I hope when I'm older and I'm more financially stable, I can be a foster mom or adopt older children because I do think it's very important to invest in younger people and be there for them, especially if you can be a safe harbor for a kid who's having a rough time. I think that's really beautiful. But the world is very overpopulated. There's a lot of people here. I don't need to make another person. There are plenty. What about people's reaction to that? Most people my own age do not give me a hard time about it. There are things about deciding to not have kids or saying you don't want to have kids that can leave you excluded. You know, I I do see like a future without children is having more loneliness in certain parts of it that there wouldn't be otherwise. But they... I think that our lives are often marked by... Uh, certain ceremonies, you know, marriage, uh, having your first kid, watching your kid grow up. Like in a way, their ceremonies become yours and they fill out your life in a lot of ways that a single person doesn't naturally have. I, so, you know, maybe I'll be 65 and retiring and my best friend's daughter will be getting married or having her first kid or whatever she's doing. And that's like a beautiful thing for their family to share. And I know that I'm not going to be experiencing those moments. So I have to kind of like create new moments for myself that don't fit into this trajectory. What do you think about creating some kind of ceremonies for yourself? Like, I don't know, what does that look like? Single people haven't really figured out what they're doing yet. I don't, I don't see that. I see, you know, people having commitment ceremonies to themselves and it just feels like a pale kind of imitation of a wedding. I don't know that that's something I would ever do. I don't think that my life will be bad because it doesn't have these ceremonies built into it. It's just more complicated. It's just like a little more work. 
because I have to kind of do it myself. I have to find meaning in things that maybe there hasn't been meaning before in the same way. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I kind of take it year by year, day by day. Your mom, how does she react to your not wanting to have kids? My mom couldn't care less if I don't have kids. I, she loves babies. Like, she loses her mind when she sees a cute baby. But I think she's understood for a long time that that's not what I want, and she doesn't have any expectations that that will change. Yeah, my parents are the same way. I've been pretty clear that I don't want to have kids either. I mean, I've been open to it when there's, like, a guy I'm dating who I'm in love with who I know wants kids, and I think, okay, I actually— I, I want to have kids with him, but it's not something that I just— it's not a chip I was born with. When I canvass other women to answer, did you always know you wanted to be a mom? And they say, yes. I mean, we're animals in that way. Like, it's that's sort of what we're here to do, right, is to keep procreating. Um, I just feel like it's something that's missing in me. But I don't feel bad about it. It's just my makeup, sort of. And I feel very lucky that my parents are down with that because there are so many people whose parents aren't, and that's like a whole nother weight. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if it's nature versus nurture with the wanting to have a kids thing. I don't know if it is something that's programmed into us. I guess I'm skeptical of that because all my life I've been told that some mysterious clock will ring when I turn 35 o'clock and I'll suddenly be desperate to have a baby. You know, women are like threatened with the idea that they'll go baby crazy and like suddenly have no control over themselves and they'll must have a baby. I'm just very suspicious of that story. To me, it just sounds so much like a warning to women. Like, there's always these panicked articles that are saying, have a baby now because one day you might want one. <laughs> and that just seems like such a messed up thing to say to people. Or settle down now because one day you'll be alone. There's always this pressure to do a thing because one day you'll be sad you didn't. That can be a motivating factor in a good way for certain things. But when it comes to, like, creating a new life or, you know, attaching yourself to someone you're really not sure about forever, it just, I think the harm outweighs the good in that warning. So what do you think now? Like, what are you, are you trying to wrap your head around the idea of being alone forever so that you're comfortable with it in case that's what happens? Sometimes I feel sad when I think about going through the rest of my life, however long it is, without, like, kissing somebody again or being physical. You know, I'm still a sexual person. I'd like to share that sexuality with another person. Uh, so that can be hard, especially when I work really hard in my life and I'm, like, trying to make my life better. And overall, it has worked over time. I think I'm definitely in a better place now at 33 than I was at 23. So when I work really hard and I think, oh, I'll never share this triumph or I'll never share the benefits of this hard work with anybody, that can also be a, a dark thought. But I also think that I spend most of my time trying to enjoy my life and do what I like to do. And no one stops me and no one tries to control me. Uh, no one interrupts that. And that can be a really nice freedom that I try not to take for granted. Earlier on, Aimee said comedy consumed her life, and she didn't mind it. There's joy in getting lost in such a creative endeavor, even if it cuts into time spent dating. And this balance between creativity and relationships has always fascinated me. 
Back in December, Jacqueline Raposo from the podcast Love Bites asked three ladies to discuss loneliness and creativity, and I thought it would be perfect to share at the end of AMA's episode to spark any thoughts you have on the subject. Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you from Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Jacqueline Raposo. I write about people who make food. You can find my work and me as at wordsfoodart.com. I'm 35 straight and single. And today in the studio with me, I have three amazing fellow ladies in media. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? Ms. Erin, why don't you start? I am Erin Fairbanks. I am the outgoing executive director of the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Lindsay Rupp. I'm a reporter at Bloomberg News covering retail, and I co-host the Material World podcast. And I am Jen Dahl, and I am a writer for various outlets and the author of the book Save the Date, The Occasional Mortifications of a Serial Wedding Guest. So I'm glad I have the three of you in the studio today because we talk on the show a lot about obviously being single and creative types. And so let's talk specifically about how being single fuels creativity itself. Aside from the fact that when we are single, we just have more time. And so you have more time to stew on things or to sit down and write or create itself. Uh, Do you guys find that your writing is the quality of your writing is better when you're single versus when you're dating somebody? In the initial stages of a relationship where you're sort of like cast on waves of bliss and blah, 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 like, at that point, it's extremely hard to be creative and work and write um, because all you want to do, and maybe it's like the oxytocin talking, but like all you want to <laughs> do is like cuddle and have sex and hang out and, you know, whatever. Um, and I find that anger and purpose fuels my writing a lot. And so if I don't have those things, if I'm like really directed to just hanging out and being cuddly, um, my writing kind of suffers. But I think there's also only so long you can sustain that even in a relationship, that sort of like cuddly wafting. So um, once you get into like the normalcy of a relationship, yeah, then, then you, you can kind of go back. And there's stuff to make you angry again, luckily. you know. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Lindsay? I'm definitely peak angst right now and, and I'm being very productive in a creative way. And I think, you know, a lot of that is I'm looking for an outlet for all these feelings that I'm having and it's making me it's making me want to prove myself in a way Mm, like, yeah, yeah, I have do that. Right. Like I've got worth and I'm, I'm great at what I do and let me, you know, I'm going to show the world and me how great I am. Um, so that's been great. But like, then there are definitely days where I just want to turn my brain off and not think about anything and just, you know, be alone and not be creative at all. Um, and you know, when I was in a relationship, I, I was, you know, I was still creative, but it was definitely different. It came from a different place. It came from more of a complacent, safe place, I think. Man, I'm like the, I'm like a golden retriever in relationships. I'm just like, hey, what do you need? What? Hey, I'm just like, I'm like there. I like all the kind of like loving and playing and hanging out, but I'm also really into just like being a helper. So I feel like that creative energy, um, in in a way that's like, I think a little personally detrimental gets channeled into my partner where I'm like, hey, let me help you live your dream. Oh yeah, and, for sure. And so it's like the volume of kind of energy and creativity is similar. It's just where I'm kind of like applying that. And mm-hmm. um, I feel yucky admitting that. Actually. No, 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 I do the same thing. <laughs> I also, I'm wondering if it's a female thing to do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think like as women, we're told to be good supportive partners, even in the most progressive situations, you know, even like 
if our parents haven't told us we are only worth is getting married, which hopefully our parents haven't told us that. I don't know. Cause I think about the, the most of the men I've dated have been artists of some capacity. And I feel like they, they give that back as well that I feel like just as artists and creative types, you, you only have a certain amount of energy and or creative time in you, like you were saying, Aaron. And so it depends on who you're using that on. And if you have the discipline to shut it off, I just feel like maybe we have, like I have the same problem because as soon as I like somebody, I want to, I want to create a much more elaborate meal for them than I really need to, (laughs) you know, like I can have them over for dinner and do something simple, but I want to like love them and impress them and nurture them where that creativity and that time could be going into my work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the guys I've dated who are that creative are just better at being like, no, I have to do this work. And they're better at sort of controlling the amount that they sort of put out. So I don't know if that's quite the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think there is a gender component to like the way that we think and women tend to be stereotypically, but also probably scientifically, like more emotional, you know, like lots of things going mm-hmm. on in our heads at the same time. And like with my boyfriend, he'll be like, well, I just have to do work now. Right. right. Like, How do you move from yeah. that thing to that thing without all of these <laughs> yeah. other things that are like, like, I don't understand, you know. Food for thought, eh? Thanks to Jacqueline, Aaron, Lindsay, and Jen for contributing yours. And what about you guys? Do you have strong thoughts or questions about this episode? You can email me at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at lonelypodcast, or you can find me on the Lonely Hours Facebook page. And sign up for our newsletter at thelonelyhour.com, and you will be the first to know when the next episode drops. Until then, enjoy yourself. This episode was produced at The Listening Booth with executive producer Terrence Mickey, producer Chris McLeod, and me, assistant producer Carrie Ann Thomas. The Listening Booth. There's a story inside.